You're listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast with your host, Jessica Hawks, where we get honest about all things entrepreneurship, balancing life and business, and navigating the world in a digital age. Hello, hello, and welcome back to season three of the Digital State of Mind podcast. We have a very special guest today. I think we're going to be covering some topics that are unusual from our normal topics. I was just telling Josh, our guest, Josh Terry, how excited I am for this episode. I am such a huge fan of yours. I have wanted you on the podcast since season one, day one. I've taken your Bitcoin course. We've been following each other on TikTok for so long, and I think you're going to provide such amazing value to our audience. So I will have you kick things off by just telling us who you are, how you got started. I feel like you are such a multifaceted person. So I would love to hear more about what got you to where you are today. So yeah, tell us about yourself, Josh. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, also, I love your podcast name. I think it's super solid. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> I uh, now I let's see. How do we describe it? So I am a writer. I'm a content creator. I'm an investor, and I'm a coach. I'd say that that would be the the main summary. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you say what's my story? How did I get here? Yeah, I feel like I've never heard your story, so. This is going to be a first-time lesson for me, too. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, uh, I went to school for music. I I started college studying music when I was 15, and I went really far into that, and that was the the dream. You know, I wanted to to be famous, rock star musician, etc. Yes. (laughs) And uh, that didn't work. (laughs) Um, Because... Turns out you have to pay bills. So right. um, I just got a job, you know, as soon as I was out of college. And it was a random job at the beginning. Eventually, I became a music teacher. And I did mm. that for a long time. Um, I was, let's see, I, I was always a creator. And content is just the thing that people create these days. So I was sort of always a content creator. Mm. Um, I was always trying to do something usually music related, uh, never took off. I take full credit for it being terrible. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) So what was your goal? What was your goal with that? Were you trying to produce music? Were you, uh, what instrument were you playing? Were you trying to, uh, be the next Tommy Lee? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the desire was, you know, be, uh, uh, an artist, have, have an album, things like that. Mm. Um, uh, make the living off of recording and performance. Um, I ended up making my living off of teaching and uh, I, t- I taught violin, piano, guitar, voice, uh, bass, music composition, production technology. Wow. So uh, obviously knowledge and skill of music wasn't the issue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that, that wasn't the problem. Um, and when I said, like, I take full credit for the content being bad when, that I created in the music world is, uh, and, and I think that's important. I think people should own when they suck. And, mm. 
I, it was I was creating things that weren't leaning into my strengths. That was that was the primary thing that I was struggling with. But uh, oh, I mean, there, you know, we could get into lots of aspects of the story. But you know, as one does, you hit a rock bottom. I hit a rock bottom in life, and I started to get my my act together in different ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the resounding questions that came back over and over again was, "What can you do?" Right. Uh, you know, at, at a time that was uh, put an extra five dollars on my student loans. Right. You know, that that was that was the thing I could do. Right. And it's that question started to affect me in many ways. And it started to teach me to lean into my strengths because you can usually do your strengths. Um, it's, it's the things that you think you're supposed to do that take a ton of work that are usually outside of the bounds of what you should be working on. And uh, I ended up just starting to make some content that was very much in my wheelhouse. Um, I, <laughs> all this time, I'd, I'd been trying to make uh, musical content. I'd always written things on Facebook, just, you know, like long blogs or whatever, just mm-hmm. to get things off my chest as one does. And people, friends would come up to me at parties and talk about those subjects. And who talks about things on Facebook at a party. That's not a thing, right? That's <laughs> weird. Besides like six-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's weird. So, I mean, I should have noticed that there was something to it, right? Um, if somebody was willing to, you know, uh, break through the, the the shame shell of, of I was also on Facebook yeah, to talk the f- about Yeah, the fourth wall. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but um, so uh, then I, I started create on TikTok. I didn't want to. A, f- a friend of mine, in quotes, forced me to. He's like, yeah, you got to get on there. And I was kind of sick of creating content at that point in my life. I was busy getting my life together. I was getting finances together and just, just figuring out how to live a good life, the life that I wanted to live. And uh, so naturally, at the moment that I didn't need it, everything took off. Because um, uh, I, I went through a a moment where I was doing research for myself. I was doing some financial research and uh, I just came across something that I found interesting. And I thought, I want to make a video about that. I'll make a video about that. And I got in front of the camera as I always did. And I looked at the camera and I thought, well, this sucks. I don't want to do this again because I've just failed at content for 10 years. This is dumb. Um, And uh, I tried to make thought content before and never worked because frankly I was camera shy right you know like I would look at the camera and nothing would work and I'd forget my lines and I'd stutter or whatever so I thought what if I don't look at the camera so I I turned to the side and uh then I started to record again and I forgot my lines as one does when you're extremely creative conceptually oriented not detail oriented at all and you can't remember shit to save your life, which is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I've been doing this for 10 years. I hate doing this. Um, what if I just read it off like my screen like a zombie? And, right. And <laughs> uh, then it went viral. And I've been creating a TikTok every day since. That is so cool. So when did you first start TikTok? Um, a little bit before COVID. Okay. And uh, then it, it took off uh, just a little bit after Okay, so you were essentially one of the first pioneers of TikTok. I feel like 
during COVID was when it really started to blow up, especially there was just such an active audience and especially for people creating content, people were going viral left and right. Mm -hmm. There was just so much activity on TikTok. And I think one of the things that's most interesting about your content is that while you have a niche in some ways, you also create very broad content that appeals to most people. You create a lot of content about mindset, you create a lot of content about investing, and it's difficult for people to find success sometimes doing that because we so often hear you have to niche down, you have to be really specific with your content. And I think it's interesting because on TikTok specifically, it seems like we are kind of moving away from that. I mean, I have seen people go from zero to a million followers within six months, creating very general content that is not super niche down. Yeah, and this is something that I, I talk about in workshops and in, uh, with my clients. Uh, I, I talk about all the time is <laughs> niching is incredibly good advice. It's, it's, it's incredibly useful. But also you have to factor in your own psychology. You have to factor in the results that you want. And the if the goal is a set of results, well, you need to do whatever it takes to get those results. And <clears throat> I'm absurdly open personality. I, I'm extremely creative. My mind bounces from idea to idea. So part of what I have to offer um, is actually that it's my ability to jump it's my ability to make connection between connections between those jumps right that's that's my strength and there's a bunch of people that have those strengths some of the most valuable people in the world have those strengths um you know the ones that are creating amazing artwork and amazing business ideas etc and those people often really struggle with the advice of niching down for good reason, because they feel like they're now not able to do the thing that they really are valuable for, which is making these new unique connections, uh, exploring these new ideas that, you know, sidestepping everything and, and, and putting something new on the table. And what I found is there's two ways of setting limits for yourself. A niche is a limit, right? So what, what a niche is essentially is it's a limit that allows you to uh, shape yourself and shape your image in a way that moves you forward. It's, it's, it's just a, a, a tool. So, but limits can take many different forms. And uh, the way people normally think about niches are across a, a certain set of categories, <clears throat> a certain set of uh, specifications. So what that niche might be, um, might be, I am going to make horror content, or I am going to speak about business analytics, I'm going to talk about spreadsheets, you know, it's things like that. But that's, that's only one metric, right? And there are other ways you can limit yourself. So what I found is there are in for a lot of people in their heads, there are logistic and stylistic Mm. limitations mm -hmm. so most of us think in term and i'll explain that in a second uh, most of us think in terms of stylistic limitations 
And what I've realized is that a lot of creative people work in terms of logistics. So what I mean by that is a stylistic limitation would be I'm going to uh, keep my channel to this mood. We're going to uh, talk about, we're going to use this set of colors um, that's going to create this emotion and we're going to have this type of story, so on and so forth. There's an entirely different set of limitations that is, you have three minutes, here's a banana, here's some duct tape, go. Right? That's another set of limitations, is, is this set of just, they can be physical, right? And, um, you know, a banana duct tape and three minutes, a lot of artistic people can do a lot with that. <laughs> yeah, not me, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, they're like, all right, let's. I'll figure something out. Let's do it, and it's and it's mm -hmm. enlivening to them. It's exciting to them. So, if you think in terms of the, if you're struggling with getting yourself to create content and niching down feels miserable to you, you want to sometimes th think about looking at the type of uh, the 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 aspects of of niche that you're you're approaching, and see if you can consider different types where it's, it's like okay. My limit is how long I have to make the video or the limit is how long the videos are or the limit is I always wear this style of clothing. It's, it's you know, lock myself into something that enables the other part of me to be free. And here's the last bit is the point of the typical niche advice. Yes, it's because of SEO. Yes, it's because it, it helps with algorithms, etc. But mostly it's a limitation that enables people to be more creative. And a lot of people, if they're told, use red, blue, and green, never go past that, always talk about happy stuff, and then um, make it on this subject, people are like, whew, great. Now I know what to do. I can do whatever I want inside of that. And that feels wonderful. But for other people, it feels like a ball and chain. So I, I think it's really, really valuable to explore not just niche but but what metrics you're using to create a niche right and i think that this is something that a lot of new business owners kind of correlating it to business in general a lot of new business owners come into the online space and niching down and getting really specific about let's say who they want to work with is super helpful for a lot of people because with niching down, they're able to have clarity in their marketing, they're able to have clarity in their content, in their messaging, and it just kind of gives them that path and limit that you were talking about that then enables them to almost propel their business forward because they're working within certain parameters. But then there's also a lot of people who that doesn't work as well for. So they may, for instance, be offering a service, but they may be offering it to a broader audience. So they decide to special specialize in what they're offering or the specific done for you service that they offer. But they're offering it to so many more people than you would if you were super niche down in who specifically you were working with. And I think that that's really helpful for a lot of people in, in kind of learning how to create those parameters for yourself because it does look different for everyone but this relates to something that i was wanting to ask you about which is that whenever you are 
either niching down or not niching down in certain ways, if you have a very broad audience, it can be difficult to leverage that audience if you decide to monetize your passion or monetize what you're teaching. For instance, with me, it's really easy to do that because I'm teaching about a very specific thing. You know, I obviously my content can be a bit broad in terms of what platforms I teach about or what marketing tactics I teach about, but for the most part, it's very easy for me to take my main message and then say, okay, I'm going to create this course and I'm going to create this offer and this is what my audience wants. But for people who are a bit more general, it can be really difficult because they have so many buckets of people in in different areas because they're appealing to a broad audience. So my question to you is what are your thoughts on being able to leverage that and how do you make that work if your niche is broader? Yeah, frankly, it's super freaking hard. Yeah. Um, and also, I never would have done it any other way. Right. So the idea there is is it's going back to that idea of, okay, well, what gets you results, right? And the, the truth is, yes, if you niche down, find the perfect topic, go hard on it, iterate on that, etc., that's the recipe. And, and if that works for you, you should do it. Right. You know, it's, it's like, that is good. Also, some people, it just doesn't work. Uh, they, they need to break through a bunch of other things to get there. Um, I mean, for me, uh, I just need to know that I am, uh, to some degree artistically unfettered, right? Because for me, it's partially a creative outlet, right? It's not just business leads for me. It's it's me getting to explore the world and my thoughts and the things that I care about, etc. Right? And so, I need to work with my own mental reward systems and the things that I care about to basically convince myself to do the thing that's going to get me good results, right? So I need to set up a scenario where that's going to happen. So the answer is, it's hard. But also, for some people, uh, it's the better route because it still gets them there faster because they're moving, right? That the, the real thing you need to do is move forward and, and, and try something, get some results. And if you create an audience with, uh, you know, of a varied set of ideas and a varied set of niches, it is going to be a more difficult path. Um, but it's, it's way better than not having a path at all. Um, and, and then how, how do you do it? So how do you do it is you come to terms with the fact that you do have to limit and you do ultimately have to niche in some way it always comes back to it. It's just a matter of how, right? So somebody that picks a niche and runs with it is basically they're picking the most limited thing at the beginning and then expanding from there. That works for some folks and the folks that that works for, they should do it. Other folks, they need to explore a bunch of things and then narrow down as they go. And it's it's a it's it's about figuring out what you can narrow. What are you willing to narrow? What gets you good results when you narrow? And most people that have trouble narrowing, it's just because they haven't had enough good results. Um, also, a lot of people that are in scarcity have trouble narrowing because they feel like 
they're going to limit themselves from all the possible options. And that feels really bad, right? But if you create a situation, for example, where you are succeeding in some fashion on social media and you're getting an influx of leads, even if they're terrible leads and it's all a mess, now you have leads and you go, oh, well, something works here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wanted, right? So now I can pick something, you know, I can go, well, maybe they want this. And, you know, maybe 1% of the leads actually want the thing, but now you're, you're headed in a positive direction. So, um, yeah, it's 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 about figuring out what you can limit, and I am all for limitation. My my book coming out is about limitation. Um, it's it, like that's specific. Like the title is "Pull Back to Push Harder: The Competitive Edge of Strategic Rest." Like the whole thing is about learning to set caps on what you do to go farther. Um, uh, but but I think that we are often. a little too unthinking in where we set our limits. I think we should be very conscious in where we set our limits. So yeah, short answer. If you if you go with a bunch of subjects, it is difficult to monetize. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it gets you moving, it's the right call. And then you, you get to monetization through setting limits on the back end, starting to limit the offering of your products and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of ties into the theory of choosing your type of difficult. Like you can choose the type of hard that is putting yourself out there and trying to create new yes. things and seeing what sticks, or you can choose the type of difficult that is staying exactly where you are. I feel like this ties into something that I teach my students a lot, which is that specifically with something like TikTok, for example, if you are a service provider or a virtual assistant or someone who's just starting out, you may not see a ton of value in TikTok because you may not think that it will get you a bunch of clients, which it definitely can, but TikTok is a long-term investment for your business. So for example, if you were to start making TikToks at the beginning, over time, that is going to pay off even if right now it's not applicable and it's not something that's maybe getting you clients or giving you a bunch of return you are eventually going to see that return because if you are building up an audience if you are building up a community now even when you're not ready by the time that you potentially have a service to sell or a course or a resource or a product whatever it may be you are going to have already crafted an audience who is connected to you, who is warmed up to you, and who is ready to invest in you as a person. So I'm always a fan of starting to create content before you may even be ready. And I think this also plays into the idea that you never know what's going to happen. You can have this full, perfect plan. And because of the way that social media moves and TikTok moves, you never know what is going to happen in the online space. And I'm sure that you've experienced that as well. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So here's a thing. As a general rule, if you are doing a bunch of stuff, one of the most productive things you can do is sit down and think about it. And if you're not doing anything, one of the most dangerous things you can do is sit down and think about what's the right thing to do. Yeah, worst case scenario. <laughs> so if you are at a point, let's say, where you're trying to figure out what type of content you can create, the answer is the type of content that will get you creating content. Mm-hmm. Literally anything. Yes. And, and a, a lot of people 
hap- happily give this advice, but I, I, I don't think a lot of people understand the context around it. Like, like a lot of people will listen to the Gary Vee advice of like, just start creating, you know, just make a bunch of stuff. Yeah, make 20 TikToks go, a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, and people will think about that or try it and they'll go, oh, yeah, but it's it's not, you know, it's not getting me the results that I want or it's not, uh, you know, what if it's the wrong subject? What if nobody likes it? You know, things like that. And frankly, none of that matters. What actually matters is you, the human being. So you have to think of yourself as a person that is uh, operating at low performance and high performance, right? So if you do something that puts you in action, then you can create a feedback loop where you can improve it. So if you aren't doing anything, one of the most useful things you can do is just do something because then you can see it and you can learn from it and, and start determining what to do next. Now, then if you're creating a bunch of content, you've succeeded at that and nothing's working. Okay, now is the time where you sit down. But you sit down in the context of a person that is in action. And what I mean by that is I'm taking a break to think about what I'm doing. I'm not stopping, right? So I'm taking a break to look at what I've done, learn from it, and then and then take another step. And I, I think it's it's really important like when when considering aspects of content creation to think from these terms it's like am i a person who is uh perennially not moving like you know because a lot of people like that's their default is oh uh, i'm not moving enough i need to take action and then there's another group that is i don't think about what i'm doing enough and i just dive into things and i don't get the results that i want so it's like you have to think about like which type of person that you are and then you can usually take your database of popular uh, content advice, tips, etc., and using that information, you can come up with a prescription for yourself of what to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of, one of the things that people struggle with in terms of this maybe the most is, especially if they are wanting to be a content creator, ju- content creator, just a straight shooting content creator. Their brand is purely about them and what they have to offer to their audience. I think a lot of people struggle with feeling like, well, I don't have a great environment. I don't have a great filming setup. I maybe don't have, you know, a lot of crazy, interesting things going on in my life. And what's so fascinating as well about your TikTok is that most of your videos, in fact, pretty much all of them, are filmed in the exact same location. The camera is very centralized on your face. If you were to scroll your TikTok page or your TikTok feed, all of the videos just look like duplicates of themselves with different content in each video. And I think that this is a testament to the fact that you do not need the perfect filming setup. You do not need all of those things because at the end of the day, what people care the most about is you, what you have to offer them, what you have to teach them. And in one of your TikToks, actually, well, I'll backtrack a little bit. I have seen people blow up and go viral on TikTok and create a huge audience from their bedroom. And in one of your TikToks, you are talking about creating the perfect job. And or I will rephrase that, not waiting for the perfect job. And basically your premise of it was that 
so often we wait for the perfect environment, the perfect situation, the perfect offer to present itself to us, but rather what we need is to work with the environment that we have, work with the situation that we already are in. And so I think this would be something really helpful to get your input on because we hear the advice just start so often and that's valuable advice, but it's also a little bit vague because I think people struggle with, okay, where do I actually start? So I'd love to hear your thoughts. A little bit convoluted, yeah. but I think you get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I th- yeah. There's a couple of things to explore there. So I, I think two of my favorite TikTok accounts. Um, gosh, one of them I can't remember. Oh, of course, yes, yeah. My my third and fourth favorite TikTok accounts. Obviously, you know, yours and mine are are my favorite. Um, I, yeah, one is this girl that literally just turns on her camera while having coffee in the morning and tells a story. And I mean, there's this one story of her talking about her husband proposing to her. And it's just phenomenal. You know, she's just, she's just retelling it, you know, and, and, you know, it's a story that she's told to her friends a bunch of times and, you know, it's like, here's the thing that went wrong. Here's the part where I felt awkward. And then he said this, and then I wanted to puke. And, you know, <laughs> and, and it's, it's utterly lovely. And, and then there was, there was another uh, story I remember for her telling uh, of, um, she went to front seat at a, ba- at a basketball game, I believe it was. And somebody ran up to, to get an autograph from her. And so she she started to like frantically. It's like first time she's ever signed an autograph, and she, she's like frantically like trying to figure out how to sign an autograph on this hat. And she's like, "Okay, who is it to? And and how does all this? You know, like what do you want me to say? Because it was like this girl had like promised her her friend over there, you know, that she was going to get this autograph from mm-hmm. him. And they have like you know like thirty seconds to make it happen. And then at the last moment, she looks up. And the girl in the stands is looking at the two of them, sobbing, going, no, not her. <laughs> Somebody actually they were trying famous. trying to get, you know, <laughs> some athlete's autograph or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's just terrible. And and, and it's, it's just this lady telling stories, you know, drinking a cup of coffee. And the mm-hmm. other one, I, I remember his, his, he's a friend of mine, American Baron. American Baron, uh, I call yeah. him a comedian philosopher. Uh-huh. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. And he does these sort of back and forth skits. And you look at where he is and they look amazing. It looks like he's like in Hobbitville or something. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Um, like it's all these old wood beams and photographs everywhere and just 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 rustic appearance and he talks about various philosophical ideas from a comedic perspective and um like it's he's some people say he has the best set on tiktok basically (laughs) the best green screen (laughs) yeah 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 Speaking at his parents' place during COVID. Uh huh. I was gonna say. Speaking you know? of you, uh, your background is giving me major uh, Harry Potter library vibes right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just a room in my house. You know, it's it's it's, and 
Yeah, so what I'm doing here is I'm building up a whole bunch of things that sound impossible, right? So mm -hmm. you're going to look at the the girl that I talked about and be like, oh, well, she was good at telling stories. I can't do that. Mm. And that's right. You absolutely can't. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, you know, the, the American Baron, like, well, you can't make a set like that. Mm -hmm. No, nope, you, you sure can't, right? And no, you can't have my Harry Potter land. You can't have it. I'm I'm keeping it. You know, <laughs> that's what set. you're. That's what you're known for now. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is also the number of creators that their set is their car, and it's a really really terrible car. Mm -hmm. The number of creators that they're you know you can see the bed in the background and all of the other things in the background, and it's a total mess. And we love it. All of these things are just the things that worked for them. So I'm going to go back to, I didn't plan on this, but it looks like we're making a running theme. I'm going to go back to this idea of what gets your results. Well, this is the easiest place in my house to make videos. Like, I want to be really clear. That is why I'm making videos here. It's not because it's the prettiest. It's the easiest. The fact that I am famous on TikTok for doing side profile and I read off scripts like a zombie <laughs> is not because that's the right thing to do for digital <laughs> marketing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. really? You're like, please don't do this. And, and, don't implement this marketing strategy. <laughs> it's the best, it's the best yeah, advice and, we've got and, for and, you. And digital marketers come in and they use me as, a, like I've seen them do videos of me as a, as a example case. They're like, this is genius. Yeah. See, this is the smart thing to do. And it's like, well, it was, but you, but you have to figure out, like, for what reason was it smart? It was not smart because people respond really well to humans reading off of screens like zombies and people respond well to side profile. It was smart because I was able to get myself in the best production capacity that I could under those circumstances. So the question to ask yourself is, what gets you under the best production capacity. And really, you don't ask yourself that. You ask, what gets me into good production capacity? What will get me to make something cool? Mm -hmm. If that is down a couple of your beers with a friend and make a funny rant at the bar, do that. <laughs> now, I mean, that one might not be sustainable, but... Right. Uh, yeah, be careful once with, you've the, done with it, the alcohol usage. You can usage. extrapolate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm um, sorry to knock the mic. Um, You're fine. Yeah, like once you've done it, though, you can extrapolate the good points from it. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. So it, it wasn't the fact that it was alcohol. It was the fact that I was in flow from bouncing off of a bunch of friends' ideas. Okay, so I need to have a bunch of friends in a room to make content. All right, solid. Now I know that. Go and run with it. You know, it's it's like... <clears throat> You know, maybe maybe you're the introvert that, you know, responds well to creating content right after reading three books. You know, it's 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 figuring out what is the optimal production situation mm -hmm. for you. It's not about making the right thing. It's about being the person who can make good stuff. Yeah. Something I tell my students a lot in regards to this is that unless you are 
aiming to be a cinematographer or a videographer where your content is heavily reliant on the quality and you want to create you know these beautifully crafted videos and you may be only able to you know put out one piece of content a week or something like that because you're working so much on it behind the scenes outside of that the casualness and the qu- or quantity of videos is something that people really value. I mean, there's this girl on TikTok who she is literally, this kind of ties into the, the type of creators you were talking about before, but she literally sits in her, her dorm room at college and she has a tiny little like waffle maker slash mini oven and she sits there she doesn't even speak in these videos but she just sees what type of recipes that she can make on this oven and (laughs) they blow up i mean she has gotten like 80 million views on this on these videos it is so wild and I think that this is kind of a theory that I have, and it's it's obviously not a theory that is super exclusive to me, but it's a thought. Um, as we are kind of transitioning into, you know, <laughs> my dog's in the background. <laughs> as we are transitioning more into a tech-oriented world, you know, we have Metaverse, which obviously isn't completely played out yet, but we are leaning very heavy into the virtual side of things, the tech side of things, the AI side of things. I think that as we lean more into that, people are also leaning more into desperately wanting to connect to others on any level. And obviously with marketing, personability has always been super important. But I think that in 2022, the theme that I am seeing is that it is now more important than it has ever been because we just want that human connection that we may not, you know, be getting in other facets of our life. So I'm, I'm super interested to, to hear your thoughts on this and what you think that we're kind of moving into as far as content. Yes. So <clears throat> I think it's really important to make content that makes you want to make another piece of content. And if you are trying to make the right thing or the perfect thing, and you you spend a lot of time on it, and you release it, and then you feel this big crash, it's not the thing you should be making. As much as you desire to make that thing, it's not the thing you should be making right now. Um, I, I think it's it's wonderful to build epic works of art and things that are the bestest ever, etc. But once again, thinking about yourself as the machine that's making it, you want to put yourself in the scenario where you're going to make good stuff. And... That requires a certain level of ease and casualness. Um, if, if you look at the best of the best in any field, they're doing the thing that is effortless for them. And that isn't to say that they don't work really hard. Um, but if you think about an Olympic gymnast doing a floor routine, your first reaction when you see them is to think, wow, looks like they're not even trying and the reality is 
They are trying as hard as they can to not try. That is exactly what they're doing. They're putting the most possible effort in to their situation so that they can move through a routine fluidly. fluidly. Um, it, so that the, the final thing is just completely effortless. And with content creation, I think that is the route, is put, put a ton of energy into it, but put it into it in the form of how do I set up things so that I, it's easy for me to make stuff? How do I make it easy for me to make stuff? Like, like put as much energy as possible into making it easy. And you want to find yourself, you know, just delivering more and more things. And what happens is, uh, learning comes from reps, right? So if that's the case, then once you up your your uh, production, then your quality will increase over time. And eventually you'll be able to figure out how to do those like moonshot ideas and the really high production stuff that you want to make. And the funny thing about all of this is, yes, this is what people want. This is what people respond to. It's what people have always responded to. It's, it's, it's like, you know, like... You don't, um, you don't like the guy that walks up to you in the bar and is trying as hard as he can to come up with what to say. You know, like it's 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 incredibly attractive to see the person that is just letting their ideas flow and they're confident in them, right? And and you're not, uh, you're 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 not attracted to the artist that is, um, you know torturing themselves over so there is the tortured artist but it's not somebody that's torturing themselves over every element of what they're doing is good or not they're actually like chicken sticking their chest out you know cocky as hell going yeah this is this is what i want to make this is this is the right art you know um they're they're tortured in every other aspect the art itself for successful artists it's 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 one of the cockiest moments ever and it's it's a universal attractor it's it's a thing that we love from all people we love people that stick out their chests and go do the thing right Mm -hmm. and uh i think that is the thing to explore in content creation which which is really ironic coming from the quiet guy that never faces the camera (laughs) yeah but you are you are very confident in your delivery of the information and value that you're giving your audience i think that confidence doesn't have to only be portrayed in being super outgoing and super bubbly and the most boisterous person at the party Yes. I think it works on the flip side of that as well. I mean, you are creating and you were creating content that people hadn't seen before in a way that they hadn't seen before. And so I think that confidence really works on the opposite side of that as well. I mean, people love seeing others who are more mysterious and more introverted and quiet who they can relate to as well. Yes, it was it was a way for me to portray the ideas that I felt immensely confident in, right? And and to deliver it with ease right and yeah um i mean tying that into the the modern world the digital world yes it's it's one of the things that i i guess is the oldest and will probably be around the longest i mean it's it's this thing that we're talking about right now this is how we pick our leaders this is how we pick our relationships this is how we pick 
our communities. It's it's everything. And it's going to only be more relevant moving forward in the digital world where the people that are willing to tap into their form of confident flow, whatever that is, you know, if, if it's if it's learning to create content with paper clips and post-it notes and and explain things on the wall with paper clips and post-it notes, like if if you can do that in the, your most confident form and and explore the ideas that you care the most about, that is the route. It, because we we know we have a a weird internal knowing. Mm-hmm when somebody is tapped in to the thing that they are clear on. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the perfect segue to lead us into like all this digital talk is the perfect segue to lead us into the next topic that I wanted to talk to you about, which is crypto, Bitcoin, investing. You were the first resource that I learned from on this topic. And it was so helpful to me because there was so much confusing, convoluted information out there. And I really just didn't know where to start, which is I'm sure how a lot of people who are listening feel. And so you talked about how some of your first content was about investing. I'm really interested to know if that was that if that was about crypto or, you know, how you kind of started to dive into that whole world and also how it started to play into your TikTok content as well because it is it's a huge world there's a lot to learn about it that's for sure yeah so i love science fiction books and i heard about uh bitcoin and crypto uh a little bit before the the uh, 2017 and uh you know, it clicked instantly in terms of an important thing. I did not invest at that time. Uh, investing as a concept was was still scary at that that point in life. Um, but but conceptually, it just worked instantly, and I was like, oh yeah, well of course I've I've read science fiction. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, science fiction writers uh, are some of the smartest humans that have ever lived. Uh, just side note, um, you know, if, if anybody is unaware of that, the best science fiction in the writers in the world are usually also science professors. They're brilliant. Mm. Isaac They're Asimov predicting wrote the like future left and right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Isaac Asimov wrote like 400 novels and legit college textbooks. I wow. mean, he was brilliant. That's crazy. And a lot of those books have been coming true wow. in ways that are astonishing. It's so you, interesting you, how that unfolds. Yeah. You, you can write books. I mean, you can read books that were written in the 60s and 70s and think that they're present day books. Mm-hmm. Think like, oh, this is just what's <laughs> they just said it how it is, you know, and, uh, you know, you can extrapolate out. So, um, yeah, that, that was one of the things that when I heard about digital currency, I was like, well, obviously. Um, I started investing in it um, pretty recently, uh, around pandemic time, um, and uh, but I, when I d- decided that I, I wanted to get heavily into the investing space and uh, into the crypto space, I just started researching, you know, what was out there, and I decided to lead heavily towards Bitcoin. Um, I, there's there's a couple reasons for it, and it's really simple. One is um, in any market, what happens to the biggest thing? Does it usually win? Well, in the digital world, it usually does, right? It's, it's like 
uh, if you would have invested in Amazon, you would have done all right. And Amazon has been the winner for many, many years, you know. Um, and and there, there's uh, something that Chamath Palayapatiya said that's quite fascinating. Is uh, He says, where are all the Amazon millionaires? Um, I believe this was him. And his uh, argument that he was making is that there's very few people that are willing to, to go with the, the obvious thing. And uh, what it was, was Amazon grew by, I don't know, 100 to 300% every year, I think, for quite a few years. And every year, investors would either go, oh, I missed the boat. Or they would go, oh, well, it can't go up any more than that. And they would sell. <laughs> so way less people than you would expect actually benefited the way they could have from Amazon's rise. Same with Tesla, same with Apple, same with Microsoft, you know, any of the, the giant things. And uh, Bitcoin isn't a stock, but it's a network that is, you know, growing on in exponential terms. Um, and the adoption is having, you know, it's, it's affecting the price. And it's, it's, uh, it's very similar in its behavior in, in terms of, of uh, how people relate to it. So most people, when they look at Bitcoin, they either think, oh, well, it's already gone up. I should go find something that's going to go up. Or they look at it and 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 say like, okay, well, I should sell. Like now, th my opportunity is over. You know. And to me, it's the leader in the market. So that's something that I want to be interested in. Um, outside of that, the other reason is simply a, its utility, um, which is people are actually using that one and. Sure, lots of people are having fun with the other ones, but countries are using Bitcoin to get out of revolutionary situations. Mm -hmm. They're using it to create financial freedom. I mean, it's absurd, the difference. And I love all of the innovation happening in the crypto world, but I'm, I'm really excited about the, the simple aspects of, well, Bitcoin seems to work and it's, it's the market leader. Yeah, it it's so fascinating because there's so much information out there about it and it really seemed to blow up in the last year, year and a half or so. Um, and I have a kind of a fun question for you and I'll lead up to it with this story about my dad who wanted to start investing recently. And his first thought when he came to me about it was that he was going to buy silver. And in my mind, I was like, what in the world? Like, <laughs> I am so far detached from that type of concept and so far immersed into the digital world that I was like, what? You're going to buy silver? Um, and he, he eventually ended up buying Bitcoin. So <laughs> no silver for him. But and my dad is, is 69. So of course, that is what is natural to him. Like that was the type of investing that was common when he was younger. So my question for you is, as we kind of, and this may be something that happens way farther in the future, but as we kind of progress and currency changes and maybe crypto and Bitcoin keep blowing up even more than they already have, do you think that we are ever going to kind of get to a point where we 
don't have the currency that we have anymore like maybe the currency that we currently have is completely phased out and rather than using that we are instead completely reliant on a digital type of currency like bitcoin or crypto for instance do you think that'll ever happen are, are you asking is is bitcoin eventually going to go out of style and then something else will, will replace it is, is that is that what you're asking i just want to know what your thoughts are in terms of if bitcoin or crypto will ever be our only currency if you have any thoughts on it oh oh uh yeah yeah, yeah. The, the bitcoin maxi question yes yeah sorry <laughs> I, I i missed some of that that's okay um i don't i mean this in the in the positive way i don't care mm. um and uh, there, there's a, a lot of people that are like, you know, oh, we're going to go on a Bitcoin standard and it's going to become the basis for all money moving forward. And right. um, it's it's, uh, you know, every, no, no other money is going to have any reason to exist and so on and so forth. And uh, so far as I know. We're moving towards an infinite world. We've always moved towards an infinite world. And people want as many options as possible, and they want to create as many things as they can. And so I think there will probably be close to infinite cryptocurrencies. And they will have long and short lives. And some of them will be useful and some of them will be useless. Most of them will be marketing scams. Some of them will be super meaningful. But... I think Bitcoin's useful. And I think Bitcoin has the potential to last. <laughs> it's it's funny, but I can't come up with a better analogy as long as the Catholic Church. <laughs> it's going to be here for a while in in um, layman's terms. <laughs> yeah. The, the the reason why I use that analogy is so, something Michael Saylor said, which is uh there's there's this idea, ancient idea of the flame keepers. Um, and that, that was a sort of a religious concept for a long, long time. And uh, he, he makes the argument that, that there's sort of a, an idealistic concept inside of Bitcoin like that, which is nobody wants to let Bitcoin stop ever, right? People are super into keeping that idea alive. And, and how sticky an idea is matters, right? So this is a technology that's useful that also has uh ideals baked into it around maintaining it and not changing it mm -hmm. which reminds me of several religions um yeah. no, <laughs> and yeah. uh the uh one other thing about not changing it it's fascinating is uh i, I mean the bitcoin is very difficult to change um it would require you know, consensus of many, many computers. Um, uh, and the ideas, ideals of the people that run the Bitcoin network are essentially, we should disagree so that never happens. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, and for some reason, we've created a, a system that functions based on disagreement. Um, mm. The, the network like, like so many things in our life <laughs> yes yes and i mean i don't know if I've, i'm saying too many things without context here but um but yeah the, the general idea is it's a system that is rigged in governance 
in such a way that it seems likely to be long lasting and it's rigged in utility and it says that lots of people want to use it and it's making their lives better and it's rigged in security so that it can't be taken away from people and it's rigged uh incentive wise mm -hmm. so that people make money operating it so uh, to me that's a recipe for something that's gonna stick around for a while right and what you said about context it almost reminds me of it's difficult because <laughs> the the world of crypto is so expansive and convoluted and it reminds me of attempting to explain to someone who is so far detached from the online world maybe they are you know far older than you whatever it is it almost reminds me of trying to explain to them what content creation is and having a career in the digital space is it's just such a difficult concept for them to understand because it's something that wasn't possible for them when they were younger and you know, I remember when I went through your Bitcoin course, I felt like I had a really good grasp of what was going on. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to join the Bitcoin or maybe it was just the general crypto Reddit now. And <laughs> I was like, oh, Jesus, I know nothing once I got in there, just because there's so many layers of it past your basic understanding. And I remember one of the um, biggest concepts that was being talked about was Bitcoin mining. And that subject is so fascinating because of the fact that it is to its core made by human and obviously so many things are well i'll rephrase that essentially everything is every you know thing that we deal with in our day-to-day -day life is like cash and investing i mean that is made by human but for some reason our view of it is different than something like crypto or bitcoin so my question to you is if you had to really break Bitcoin mining down into its simplest terms and then explain that to someone, explain that to our listeners, what would what would that look like for you? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that we are... I, <clears throat> I was listening to a Twitter Spaces thing with uh, the president of El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And El Salvador just legalized Bitcoin. And... They asked him, hey, how are, you, how are you going to do Bitcoin education in your country? This is a big deal, right? Like, they need to understand all of this. And, of course, you know, everybody that was in the Twitter spaces were, were like, absolute Bitcoin geeks. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, studying it day in and day out. Yeah. Hedge funds. Yeah, and, they're like, I got this. I'll explain. Yeah. And his answer was, well, what average citizen knows how a dollar works? Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. <laughs> they don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> they just need to be able to use it. Right. And I thought that was absolutely wonderful. So um, I think that sometimes we go too far into the complexities. Yeah. That we go beyond utility. And I, th I think we should go into it enough to understand what we need to make our lives better. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's my, my thought process on it. So, okay, but uh, yeah, Bitcoin mining. So Bitcoin is basically a list of transactions. That is all Bitcoin is. It is a, let's actually just call it a list. So the list is something like Bessie owns two Bitcoin, Jude owns three Bitcoin, 
Sue gave Jesse a half a Bitcoin and so on and so forth. Um, essentially, it's just a record of who sent what amount of Bitcoin to whom. And that is a list that has to be updated all the time. It's public and it's very long and uh, it needs to be maintained for another couple of hundred years. You know, it's it's that's that's the whole system is basically that. And um, like that is Bitcoin is just a how do you make a list of things so that everybody knows who ev what everybody has? That is that is all Bitcoin is. And that is probably one of the most important aspects of record keeping business, uh, financials, economies, the entire economic system of the world. That thing, who owns what and who gave what to whom is basically the most important thing and if you can crack it and get a dependable system for that you win so bitcoin mining is um a process that computers run through to maintain that list that's what that's what it is on 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 the top level and then there's a bunch of things that have to be done to make that list uh, be maintained well one of them is you have to figure out how to randomize who can update the list. And that is because if you don't randomize who can update the list, any computer in the network could update that list. Any computer running the Bitcoin program could update that list. But we have to randomize it because if we don't randomize it, then a computer can predict it and then decide that they're going to control it and change it. Right? So... Randomization is a tool that creates honesty. And mm -hmm. there's there's other aspects that go into it, but that, that's one of the core ones. So the solution that um, the creator of Bitcoin came up with is we will have computers solve a very complex problem that requires them to basically throw numbers at the wall until they get the answer. <laughs> so Bitcoin miners are a bunch of computers throwing random numbers at a speed that is absurd yep. to get the answer to one problem that then gives them the right to update the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you could give, what percentage do you think of people who are actually involved in Bitcoin or crypto in general are actually partaking in the mining aspect of it? Because... Obviously, Bitcoin mining requires a pretty expansive setup. I mean, you can't just <laughs> come out of the gate with your, you know, MacBook or typical computer to be able to be a part of that. It's a small percentage, um, but it's still a massive market. Mm. And I, I think that's that's one thing that uh, people aren't clear on is how big Bitcoin already is. Right. Bitcoin is already like, I think it's it's somewhere around like number t nine or 10 largest currency in the world, like close to Mexico. It's, it's, it's already beat out most countries on earth in terms of economic power. It's massive. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's a small percentage of overall Bitcoin users, but it's, it's still a very, very large uh, industry. Mm. And it seems like one of the biggest hesitations that people have is that they obviously want to get involved in it because they do see the potential that it has. 
but that also, since it is so new, does come with security risks that you may not be used to in your normal day-to-day banking system, um, especially with in terms of, I guess, if you could compare it to your quote-unquote normal finances, having someone like a financial advisor who can advise you, who can tell you what the right or wrong moves are to make, I think a lot of people would like to have something like that, but with Bitcoin, it comes with an added layer of risk because it is something right now that needs to be so private to you and that needs to be at a heightened level of security because of the fact that it is digital. And I suppose that most that applies to most banking systems as well. But with that in mind, what do you think the best route is for people who want to dive into this but are a bit worried about that factor? Do you think it's getting a mentor? Do you think it's going through a course or do you think it's just simply diving into it and testing the waters and seeing what works for you? Yeah, I mean, pick the smallest possible version of it. Um, you know, down download a simple app like Strike or Cash App or uh, Swan, something that's really simple that proves to you that, okay, you can just buy 10 bucks of the thing and that's it. And stories over um you know like put your your foot in a very shallow puddle at first and then uh you know find find a in type of instruction that works for you um there, there's good folks online antonop uh and then on, on these are all on youtube antonop i think you uh anthony pompliano michael saylor robert breedlove those, they all explain it from different directions, um, but any of those are great sources. I'm about to relaunch the Bitcoin course, I think. Um, it'll probably remain free. Um, and uh, it's, it's you want to figure out the smallest amount of information that allows you to take a safe action. So if you already know what a digital wallet is, if you already know how that works, if you've been using, you know, PayPal and Venmo, figure out what the equivalent is of that in the crypto world and go try to do the smallest possible thing you can do there. Um, if, if you, you know, if, if you are investing, you know, figure out an investing platform that functions much like what you already use and use that, you know, you just take the smallest possible step. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, it's it's a massive world, and I think a lot of us are assuming that we need to figure out all of it, and that's utterly ridiculous because um, we don't figure out all of any industry. Mm-hmm. So just dive into the part that you know you can handle and that that. Uh, piques your interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that advice. Well, if you are running your Bitcoin course by the time we have this episode released, which I hope you are, because like I said, it was so helpful for me and it really simplified things to learn from someone like you when I was first kind of diving into the crypto world. So we will have that linked into the show notes for any of you who are interested in diving into that. And Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So I want to wrap things up with talking about a topic that pretty much every business owner and every creative has experienced, which is burnout. And you talk a lot about this on your TikTok. 
I think it's really difficult, especially once you start creating content, because once you start, once you see the results, once you are feeling inspired, it is really difficult to turn that side of your brain off. So I have a twofold question for you, which is, for one thing, how do you avoid burnout in the first place? What are some things that you set in place for that? And then on the flip side of that, when you are trying to avoid burnout, how do you also deal with the guilt that may come from being very driven and making yourself take a step back, but feeling really guilty about doing that in the first place? Okay, so let's let's start with the first part. So the first part is how do you deal with burnout? And the answer is, treat yourself like you're two people. You're a child and a grown-up. The child part of you is the one that's ambitious. I promise. (laughs) The child part of you has those big dreams. It has a bunch of things that it wants to do, a bunch of things that it thinks it should do, a bunch of things that it feels guilty for not doing, all of that stuff. And then there's the other part of you, which is the one that has to keep you alive. (laughs) The one that has to keep you from death. Right. (laughs) And and, uh, that's not the job that your your child self is at all concerned with. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't care. Right. And... So think about it in terms of parenting, right? So when you have a, a, a kid and his parent, the kid is, you know, an awesome kid with, with all sorts of things that he wants to do and does all sorts of great things. Maybe he's a brat sometimes, but he's still great. But he still needs somebody to watch over him to keep him in line so that he doesn't self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Burnout is a person doing things either that they want to or that they think they should or for some other reason that's getting them a bad result. And if you want a good result, then you have to change the behavior. And if you think in terms of, oh, but I want to do this thing and oh, I need to do this thing, et cetera, et cetera, it's impossible to change your behavior into something that doesn't give you burnout. But if you think of the adult version of yourself that says, hey, here's this person, me, trying to do all of these things. How could I get them to operate at the highest level they could possibly operate? Okay. Most of us actually know what that is. Most of us know the advice to give to our friends. We don't know the advice to take ourselves. Most of us, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe we wouldn't magically become perfect parents, but we know a lot of what to do to take care of and guide a child. We do. But then when we come to ourselves, we fall apart. So my, my suggestion would be to think of yourself as that adult along with the child. You have to have both. So the idea is parent yourself and notice when you're starting to get burnt out Mm -hmm. and then decide based on the observation that you need a different result and Jerry needs to go to bed on time. Yeah, Jerry needs a nap. 
Yeah. And to tie this into the idea of feeling guilty. So a lot of us that struggle with burnout, when we stop, we don't feel good. And that's why we don't stop. Yes, we're ambitious. Yeah, we have dreams. But the reality is we're also running from something. We're running from the fear of being a bad person. We're running from the fear of like not measuring up. Like It could be a many things. But we feel like we can't stop and we shouldn't stop. To stop actually feels like sinful, right? Feels feel, feels that bad. And what you should do under those circumstances is feel guilty. So if you are a person who has been super productive and you're on the edge of burnout and you need to go you know you need to go sit in a bubble bath and take a break, but you don't because you know that the demons are going to come out to play when you do. The answer is you're going to have to go sit there and let the demons come out to play. You have to go do the thing that makes you feel like a terrible person. So there's a lot of narratives around rest and recuperation where a lot of people that are hard driving think that rest is for the weak and rest is for you know uh i'll sleep when i'm dead measure up Yeah, yeah yeah so as a result what happens is when you go rest you now feel weak mm-hmm. but the reality is if you're an adult and you have a direction you want to go and a result you want to get then eventually you have to rest so as a requirement Based on that thought process, your job is to go rest and feel weak. That's your job. And then let yourself process it and be kind to yourself. Like figure out how to deal with the thing. Learn how to have the emotion and then process it. And I think that's the cause of most burnout is really an unwillingness to face those things. So yeah, a lot of my argument for this is a lot of people think that you're weak for not resting, and I would argue that you're weak for not being able to face who you are when you rest. Mm, I love that concept. I think that especially in the past couple of years with the amount of content that we're taking in and a lot of that is centered around mindset, there's a lot of narratives out there of this is how to fix things when you're feeling sad or this is how to fix things when you're feeling guilty or insert whatever feeling that you may be feeling and sometimes you just have to feel that thing in fact most of the times you should feel that thing because that's the responsible thing to do is to experience your feelings and so i love the concept of looking at it as a job of this is what i need to do to ensure that i feel my best because sometimes the guilt doesn't go away i mean i am years into my business and I still feel guilty when I take time off. I still feel guilty sometimes at night when I'm quote unquote done with work, but my mind isn't really done. So I love the idea of kind of dancing with that feeling rather than trying to ignore it and pretend that you feel perfect when you are are doing that. Yes, and I, I very intentionally made it sound a little bit rough, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't say, oh, love yourself and right. take a break and feel good and all of that stuff and the reason why is because i mean yeah i I want people to rest i want them to feel good but the the thing is is 
we don't really care that much about those things. Mm-hmm. We care about feeling empowered. We, right. we care about having a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And we work hard because we want to. Most of us work mm-hmm. hard because we're, we're trying to get something done, right? Yeah. So if rest feels like stepping away from all of that, then you're not going to want to do it. Right. <laughs> but if you realize that rest is your job, if you re- realize that the rest is the work, that solving this burnout issue is the next task at hand, now you feel empowered to act on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly important is to understand that like, yeah, this is the task at hand and you can do it. Yeah, I love that theory. I have loved this conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. You are yet again another guest who we've been in each other's atmosphere for so long, but we have never chatted face to face. So this has been amazing. And I am so glad that we were able to do this. I feel like you have a lot going on in your business coming up. You have a book coming out soon. So do you want to chat about that? Everything you've got going on? Yeah. So, um, the, the Bitcoin mining raise is going great. Um, uh, you can find, I'm, I'm not going to put a whole bunch of links. I'll say the link first. So joshjplays.com slash links is the easiest place to, to grab anything of mine. Um, uh, the Bitcoin mining raise is going great. Um, uh, the book is about to come back from the editor. Hopefully it's done and uh, I can start working on the publishing process for that. Um, should happen within the year. Um, and I've been doing coaching and you can find me on those links. Very exciting. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well. What do you hone in on with your coaching? What is your, your favorite thing to coach about your expertise? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's been, it started broad and slowly, Mm -hmm. slowly narrowing, right? Just, just like my creative process has been with other things, but it's it's mostly been around mindset and performance and it's, uh, it's, figuring out how to get the result that you want, right? So um, uh, a, a lot of things that I talked about here is, is what, I, what I talk about and help people work through is um, trying to figure out what type of person are you. And yeah, there's a million pieces of a device in the world, but all of this stuff's contextual. So what actually works for you? And how do we create something that gets you doing the thing that you want to be doing at the best level you can possibly do it? Right. Love that. And do you do any coaching on investing, crypto? Although I guess that's a <laughs> tricky world to dive into if you're not technically a financial advisor. So <laughs> so I don't give financial advice because yeah. <laughs> I would never give financial advice. No, of, right. Of course not. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's that's not my specialty. But um, I, I do have, you know, uh, people I can I can point point you to so yeah you can reach out and I, I can direct you towards some of that perfect and your handle is at Josh Terry plays pretty much across the board right yep yep perfect okay so we will have all of Josh's information and resources in the show notes make sure to check him out he creates so much amazing inspirational content thank you so much for being here Josh I am really happy that we had a chance to sit down and chat today I really enjoyed this Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Of course. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode, and I will talk to you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast. I am your host, Jessica Hawks, and I am so happy to have you here. 
Follow along with us on Instagram at The Digital State of Mind so that we can stay connected with you and get your feedback on what you want to hear on the show. I know everyone says this, but we're serious, okay? (laughs) Talk to you next time. Thank you.